What you do on this earth is important, but what you leave behind is 10 times more important. And no amount of success outside the home will correct for a failure inside the home. That, my friends, was the voice of Ben Colloy, host of the Military Veteran Dad podcast and also the Business of Fatherhood podcast. He is this week's guest on the D-Rate the Hate podcast, so veterans, dads, military spouses, and all of our returning DTH friends. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's cue the music. Welcome back, my friends, to the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I am Wilt from WiltsWorld.com, and this is going to be episode 57. And this week, we're going to be talking with Ben Colloy, talking about dads and bringing the veteran dad home. First, we did not create the hate, but with your help, we can derate the hate. Here at the D-Rate the Hate podcast, we are all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. So what have you done today to make your life a better life? What have you done today to make the world a better place? Ben Colloy is all about making the world a better place by doing what he can to help bring every military veteran dad home. Now, Ben is a U.S. Marine Corps veteran turned blogger, life coach, speaker, and podcaster whose mission, again, is to bring military veteran dads home to their families. He resides in Janesville, Wisconsin with his wife and three beautiful children. He went through what most veterans transitioning out of the military go through, and most veterans will get this, that feeling of needing to redefine their identity outside of the structure of the military and rediscovering your passion and purpose for life. Now, a seminar changed it all for him and allowed him to discover his passion for leadership and helping other veterans and dads to be the best parents they can. This is a story you're not going to want to miss, and who better to tell it than Ben Colloy himself? So let's jump right into that interview. Okay, Ben, thank you for joining the D-Rate the Hate podcast. I appreciate you joining me today. I'm really excited to be here, Will. It's always a great opportunity to talk to another fellow podcaster. Great. Your, your primary podcast is the Military Veteran Dad podcast, and then you do the Fatherhood Fridays. And uh, I just recently found out you have, a, uh, have another daily podcast that you're doing on Coaching Fathers. Would you like to tell me a little bit about that uh, that as well? Because I know that wasn't in the uh, in the bio, but uh, if you could just briefly tell me a little bit about that so that we can incorporate that into our conversation as well. Sure. So Military Veteran Dad started in this genesis moment where I realized that my story of coming home to be a better husband and father, which really started probably around 2014 when I dropped out of the College of Engineering and didn't know where the grass was going to get greener because that was how the grass was supposed to get greener according to how the transition out of the Marine Corps taught me. And it was all gone. So I had to figure out what to do. And so I had to figure out, I had to reboot myself essentially. And I told my story to a military spouse in 2018 at a conference and she started crying. And it kind of took me back because I was like, I didn't think I really said anything that was worthy of crying. And what she realized and said was that my husband came home from war physically, but he never came home from war emotionally. And to me, that moment validated that my story and my word and my voice did something and I need to do something more with it. So that's what started the Military Veteran Dad podcast. I launched three months later on January 1st, 2019. And I had a simple mission to bring every dad home. And it sounded good. It sounded like a very good short PR message. And I was like, man, this feels right. But it took almost two and a half years to really figure out what that word home really meant. 
I had a hard time marketing it. I didn't spend a lot of time explaining it. It was just kind of there as a banner message. And then once I started talking to dads and I started starting up my coaching business, I realized that home isn't just something military veterans are looking for. It's an actual feeling that most men have been looking for in the wrong places their entire life. And it's not a building that you think of a home or a house. It's actually a feeling on the inside that through whatever their upbringing, whatever their life has unfolded to that point, they have never truly had that safety and security that you most likely provide to your kids of going to bed, knowing that their world is safe when they put their head in their pillow, falling asleep, knowing that their parents have everything taken care of. That feeling of home, that safety and security, most men have never felt. And But we were told to go out in the world and build and build these things of buildings and career companies and do all these great things with our life, but in the purpose of work. And most men have been doing that, but they never find that feeling. And so that's what led to the genesis of the Business the Fatherhood podcast was I knew what I was doing in Military Veteran Dad could reach a larger audience. So I launched the Business of Fatherhood brand to kind of be a side brand, but target more career-minded dads that had the same problem, had the same feeling, just changing a few words and helping them come home as well. I'm very fortunate uh, to, to have caught you at this time then, because one of the questions I was really going to ask you was, you know, you and I are both veterans and, and, and I can appreciate the veteran aspect of what we're doing and what you're doing with your podcast. But one of the things that I was actually going to ask you was, is there more outside of just the veteran aspect of it? And, and, and now, that, now that I know that you've got the Business of Fatherhood podcast, it's a double bonus for me. So I'm looking forward to checking that out as well. So when you talk about redefining your identity after the structure of the military life, I know that a lot of people don't understand that structure, but talk about how how you and your guests on Military Veteran Dad podcast talk about how you transition from that structure, and and your guests talk about transitioning that that structured military life back to a civilian dad life. So one of the th- my favorite questions is actually to not look at the transition out but to look at the transition in. Because almost every time you hear someone talking about veterans and transitioning, it's always them leaving the military. But the point that that misses out on is we were actually human beings before we went in the military. We had goals, we had ambitions, we had things we wanted to do in this world. And at that time, the military seemed like the place to go to achieve those. And so at first, I always recommend to go back and find why did you want to join the military? What were you looking for? Did you accomplish it? Did you miss the target? Going back and doing kind of just a basic SWOT analysis and figuring out what you did, what you didn't do there, allows you to then look at the leaving the military in, in maybe not perfect 2020 vision, but with a lot less cataracts, where you aren't necessarily looking at through of whatever you did in the military, wherever you were deployed in the military, maybe a friend that you were lost, and you're kind of looking at it as before and after. And so for me, when I went in the military, I was least likely voted to join the Marine Corps. I was almost going to go into the Air Force. And it was out of randomness that I found a Marine recruiter that kind of changed how I saw the Marine Corps and just kind of this dare to be great moment of I'm going to do something that seemed like the hardest thing that I've ever done. I went to boot camp, barely able to do the three pull-up minimum. I joined the Marine Corps and they raised my right hand, not doing any pull-ups and kind of working through the delayed entry program, trying to figure out and get some basic level of fitness that I could go to boot camp. And it was an emotional experience that kind of just ripped me apart in the beginning. But then it taught me a lot of different things, but it planted seeds. And seeds didn't often grow for me while I was in the military for like leadership and figuring out who I was. And now what I kind of describe where the Marine Corps made me a Marine, but I didn't figure out how to be a Marine. 
until almost like 2015, 2016, a good full 12 years after leaving the military. Because when to be those things, you have to know what you are on the inside. And it's a feeling that comes from the inside out. And just like the feeling of home is something that comes from the inside out, in order to be something, you've got to know who you are. And the Marine Corps helped reveal some of that, but I still didn't believe really what the universe and the Marine Corps was showing me of what I was capable of. I still had this massive self-doubt of I just wasn't meant to do great things. Later in life, I will learn that I had this kind of repeating story that I was just a dumb farm boy from Wisconsin that was never going to do anything. And so that was my limiting belief over and over and over. And I didn't really realize that that was playing out. But once I did, I was like, wow, that was really, I, I really need to rewrite that story. So now I rewrote it that I'm a farm boy from Wisconsin who's going to help impact the world. And I do that with talking about dads and helping a dad come home to his kids because I believe when a dad comes home to his family, that's how you can make an impact on a kid. And a kid that believes in himself and goes into the world actually just might have the courage to go out there and change it. Right. And I think me personally, my purpose in life after becoming a father was was the was the most defining moments of my life. And and I, I like the fact that you talk about how it was several years after you got out of the Marine Corps that you truly understood what it meant to be a Marine. And, and I'll be quite honest with you, you know, I've been out of the Navy now for 23 years and I did not get to accomplish what what I, I, I needed and I didn't get what I needed out of the military. And, and I, I blame myself for that. And that's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do. But when I became a father and that purpose that you get from fatherhood it is such an incredible thing. And I think that as, as men, we far too many people don't understand the importance of that fatherhood aspect and, and don't take it to the, to the level that I, I, I know that you do now from, from listening to a lot of the stuff that you've done. And, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it because I think there's very little in this world important uh, or more important than a strong father figure. So and most men didn't have that strong father figure, which kind of creates this like, dichotomy where we don't give ourselves permission to be father because we don't trust ourselves that we're not going to mess it up. Maybe like our dad, if we had an abusive or an absent dad, or maybe we never had a dad and we just feel like, how can I be a dad if I never had one modeled? And so it just creates this friction of energy. Or with it, for veterans, the biggest thing that happens is we don't become comfortable with the emotions of what happened in the military. And so mm -hmm. you can't separate the emotions of fatherhood, the screaming, the yelling, and everything else that goes with fatherhood, and also the joy of fatherhood, if you haven't dealt with the muck of being a veteran and whatever life happened to you. So all those emotions, if you shut down one, you're shutting down it all. And when you do that, you push yourself apart from what your family and who you are. And the worst part of owning and doing the Military Veteran Dad podcast is knowing that there's dads out there every day that come to the conclusion that their family is better off without them and that they're a burden to their family and they take their own life. I, mean, I was yep. launching my podcast and I would read stories about this. And even at, still to this day, I read stories. And early when I started, I was at Starbucks prepping it on the weekends from 5.30 to 8. That's one of the reasons I was able to do it when I had a corporate job. And I would just be crying my eyes out in the middle of Starbucks, hoping no one noticed me because I'd read an article because I had a Google search set up for it. And I would be like, oh, man, got to keep going. And because yeah. we had like three kids left behind that are really young. And what I've learned through all the different interviews, because I've interviewed moms and everybody on all sides of that suicide issue is the it's just a pain that the dad passes on and the kids never know how to heal it because it's not their pain. 
And it's an open wound that essentially is on their heart and it never really goes away. And they're haunted with this question there. This is the question that like it feeds at the back of my head of why I keep doing what I'm doing. Why didn't my dad love me enough to stay? Uh And they never get the answer to that. And they could be 35 and that question still haunts them. Why didn't my dad love me enough to stay? What was wrong with me that made me so bad that I needed, I needed to lose my dad in order to make it better. Right. That, that pain of suicide. And I've, I've lost a couple close friends to, to suicide. And, you know, I, I've been, I guess, fortunate enough to stop uh, the suicide uh, of a couple people and uh, or, or at least play a part in, in stopping it. And and I got to tell you that the I, I saw the words one time, the suicide does not end your pain. It just transfers it to somebody else. And, yeah, the tragedy uh, uh, that I think it's 22 military veterans a day now are committing suicide. And I, I think that has a lot to do with, you know, just that shutting down the emotions, having to, having to compress all those emotions inside and, and not release them and, and not feel like you have that support structure, but it's so important. I know one of the things that, uh, one of the things that I've, I've done the majority of my adult life is, is I ride motorcycle, I do motorcycle benefit rides and, and being involved in in a, in a uh, one of the rides that that my wife and I do each year is uh, you know promotes the Eagles Healing Nest and the the Friends of Healing Vets um, uh, here in Minnesota and uh, you know doing work with veterans is, is so incredibly important and showing them that there is a a support structure out there available to them and there's there's avenues that they can go for support as opposed to going down that, that avenue of, uh, of suicide, because, uh, you know, it, it's, you're right. Those children will never, those children will never be the same. They may get beyond it, but they'll never get over it. They'll never, they'll never truly understand, you know, why their parent, uh, you know, mother or father took their own life to try and, uh, you know, cause they'll never understand the pain because that pain was never displayed to them in a way that they could understand it. And then, once that event takes place, there's nothing there uh, again to answer that question, and, and 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 it's so painful. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about that seminar you, you talked about in 2018 that really changed things for you when it came to your purpose and 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 how that manifested it in into you wanting to change other people's lives with your story. How, can, can you tell me a little bit more about that seminar? January 2014 is when I dropped out of the college. And so then that was where the great crash. I'm like, what do I do? I remember March of that year, my daughter was about two years old. And I remember looking in her eyes and being like, how can I lead you into your life if I can barely lead myself through mine? But I just still didn't have the answer. Like, where do I still go? I'm still searching for that answer. I'm like, man, I just felt... I was also having like this midlife crisis of, I think it was, I was about 30 as well. And I was like, I think if I reach the end of my life, no one's going to be there to really care that I was here. Other than my immediate family, I don't think anybody's going to come out to say any nice things because I wasn't really doing anything special. I was just going through the emotions of what was dressed up as the American dream, but ended up being my hell. And that spring as well, at the end, about May 2014, I went to a seminar making the transition from staff to supervisor was about as normal of a seminar you can think of for what I just called it. But there was a guy that really spoke good on leadership and he had one of those golden voices of radio. And I was just like, man, this is who I need to be. And he remember, I was kept raising my hand as well. 
And so when I kept raising my hand, I was like, I know all this stuff. And I was like, where do I know it from? I was like, the Marine Corps taught me all these things. And that seminar reignited a feeling of what I remember about being platoon sergeant for a short period in my time in the Marine Corps, where I got to look at a Marine that maybe didn't see the Marine in himself and pull it to the surface. And I remember that feeling very intimately because I remember how great it felt to help someone see something that they couldn't see in themselves and reflect it back to them, to be able to see value, give them the words and the courage to believe in it to themselves and run with it. Now, that prompted a massive journey of understanding leadership, and I binged a bunch of knowledge and books, and I understood way more than I needed to because the problem was I was learning, but I wasn't applying it. And so this leadership journey really took a good six-year journey. And I would say Corona really expedited this idea. And it really came to fruition that what leadership really meant to me and what I learned through this six-year journey was leadership is not about how you lead others, but it's how you lead yourself and how you lead yourself or how, how you lead your life. And so my understanding of leadership now is learning to lead myself and how I lead my life from physical, health, mental, and over my overall day that impacts how I lead my life. And that gives me the ability to influence how I can help others lead in the same way. Excellent. I love that, that idea of leadership being not necessarily how you lead others, but leading your life. So, so you're presenting people follow you because you have the best ideas. People follow you because there's something about your swagger. When you walk around that, like that guy's just got something that I want that self leadership. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, well, like you talked about that, you know, the guy having the guy, the guy, had, the guy was talking about things that you had heard before and, and things that you already knew, but it was the way that he presented them. It was his persona. It was his presentation of the material that really brought it out for you, you know? And he I, also in the in civilian world, you know this, that like in the early, like when I first got out, I was 23, 24, you barely get trusted around the copier and you kind of, kind of earn your, your way through the corporate world. And I was all in a corporate world. I worked for an OEM manufacturer on generators I was all in it. But at the same time, you they don't give you like, you know what you're talking about. You have to start at the bottom just like you came out of college, even though you've already experienced a lot of life. That kind of gave me this feeling that I don't know enough to do something big. And so then I just put myself in neutral and coasted for almost 10 years, right? Up until dropping out of the College of Engineering. And the crazier part about this whole journey, actually, I just figured out a couple of months, weeks ago, is and it's a 20-year story that was unfolding for me. So in high school, I loved electricity. I'm putting circuits together, loved the whole thing, building radios. And then the Marine Corps says, you're also good with electricity. So I'm going to make you a generator mechanic. So then when I get out, I'm like, yeah, I should just follow this. So I get a job doing generators. I teach people doing generators. I get a second job at a different company working on generators again. And I just continue this idea. I eventually move away from generators and move into IT. And then I also followed another curiosity of moving into marketing. So I get a little bit further away from electrical engineering and electricity all in general. But the problem was, I was like, I just giving up on this electricity idea. Because I feel like I really loved it. I just didn't figure out how to apply it correctly. And I was like, but dry, I was at the grocery store about four weeks ago. And it hit me like a bolt of lightning, pun intended. Because it hit me that electricity is energy. People are energy. And what makes me a great coach is I can troubleshoot a schematic for a generator in my head virtually very quickly. And I can watch relays, diodes, and switch on and off. That's no different than troubleshooting someone's life schematic and getting reorientating and figuring out where the wiring's wrong. And that's what made me a great coach. And that closed a 20-year journey of like, this is why I like electricity. I was just using the wrong terminology to describe it and plug it into the wrong socket. And now once I've got it dialed into that, this is why I'm a great coach. This is why I can reorientate it. And now I can understand like, I'm not giving up on it. 
I'm actually applying it where I can make a bigger impact. Very nice. So when you talk about the generators and, and the schematic uh, of, of an electronic or elect- electrical generation system and, and how it relates to keeping things firing in, in a person and, and the coaching, talk about uh, just like a generator. What is the first thing that you, when you're troubleshooting a, a person as opposed to troubleshooting a generator, what is the one of the, one of the first things that you're looking to improve, uh, or, or when you're when you're coaching, what is one of the first things that you're looking at to make the biggest impact in that coaching journey with 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 one of your clients? So I'll try to come up with a good analogy, and analogies are usually my my my, my forte. So I'm, hopefully I'll get the right one here. So within troubleshooting a generator, the first thing I would say is you got to assess what's working. You want to find circuits that are working so you can understand what circuits aren't working. And so the same thing would apply in a coaching session. The first thing that I'm truly looking for is what's working and what's not working. But then the second component that kind of breaks down from electricity is most men have gone down a road all their life. It's called the sunken cost fallacy, where we've invested so much of our life in this road that we're too afraid to go back and ask for directions. And it plays to right where most men aren't, aren't willing to ask for directions, whether they're lost in their wife and their family vacation. It plays to all that. We've invested so much time in this idea that he thought he had and we're 10 hours into it, but he's too afraid to learn that he's supposed to go left back in Oklahoma. And the same idea happens in coaching. My first objective is we need to pin that pin on the map. Where are you? Because if you think of coaching as a GPS, a GPS is useless until you know a starting point and a destination. And most men don't actually know where they are because they've been running on autopilot for so long that the first moment they pause and wake up, it's like, did I just wake up in a frat party? Because there's this giant mess around them of emotions and issues that they haven't dealt with and they don't really know where they are. So that's the most important point is just do a kind of a just quick analysis. How did you get here and where you are? I always equate to like a wayside where you go and you see that pin on the map, like you are here. And then you see the big map of where you can go. That's what we need to do. And then what we do also is understanding where do you really want to go? Like what's going to make a difference at the end of your life that you're going to look back and be like, that's exactly how it was supposed to end. And that's exactly where I wanted to go. But those two questions, I mean, I often find it struggling to even get men to think about a destination. And one question I often almost have to break the rules with to break them out of their, they're almost like the coma of their thinking is that like, okay, I understand that you can only, you're only wired to think about money. You're only wired to think about providing and getting a job and what's next tomorrow of how you're going to survive. But I just gave you a million dollars. Okay. So you have a million dollars. You don't have to worry about work. You don't have to worry about providing. Now what? Within 10 seconds, they'll come up with what they want. But without that question, I'm just, it's empty. Like it, the, it's silence going across the phone. And I'm like, you have to like break the rules through that psyche to understand like, okay, if I give you a million dollars and move all these things that you're occupying your thoughts with, where do you really want to go? Mm-hmm. And almost always when I do that exercise, we eventually get to the root of something described as home, whether it be safety, security, being safe, being knowing what they are, understanding the risks where they are. Sometimes I've had men say like, I want to go out to Colorado. And I'm like, that doesn't sound very safe. That sounds very scary. There's lions and tigers and bears out there. He's like, I can <laughs> handle those things. But what I have here in my life, I can't handle. And what he was looking for out in Colorado was that feeling of safety and security that he could provide from the inside, but he can't provide it as current environment because he lost himself along the way. Right. So let's tie that back to the military veteran dad. When you talk about the guys coming home and the psyche that they're, they're trying to get past, 
what do you find as the most common denominator in that battle of transitioning from whether they be a, a, a combat veteran uh, or a uh, or just a, a standard veteran that was not, you know, downrange frontline, you know, in in a in a, you know, battle campaign of one form or another, you know, everybody has a different battle. But what is that? What is that common denominator that they have when they come back and, and, and they're transitioning? There's a couple of key differentiators for where like the veterans that I've talked to, the ones that have lost a friend while they were at war, those ones are haunted by this question. Why did I live? And he died. And so then they're haunted by, did my service matter? Why did I serve? What did all these four years, what did going over there for nine months of my life actually even mean? And the problem with that thought is it has no good answers. And they focus on the legacy of their service, not the legacy of their family. And it's a big switch once you make this switch that it's not about the ser- legacy of my service, it's about the legacy of my family. And then you also can reframe losing your friend. Like he didn't come home. So you could come home and be the best dad you could be. If he was a dad, there's a kid out there that never gets to heal his father's love again. And you do. And it's up to you to create a life worthy of the gift that your friend gave you to go home and feel the love of your kids. And it's that legacy of family that allows someone to switch. Now there's a couple other areas where, like the military just doesn't give us permission to even acknowledge that we have a family. Like the Marine Corps has a joke. If they wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one. I'm sure the Navy has the same one, especially being on a boat. <laughs> Similar. And <laughs> you don't get this idea that it's okay to feel something. Like, I don't know if you've figured out the dichotomy with your D-rate the hate podcast in the military, but to me, derating the hate of feelings within the military is something that needs to be more of. Like there isn't a military order on feelings, but there's a military order on every other thing except feelings. And I've often thought if the Department of Defense issued a military order on how to feel and what you could feel, I wonder how much more the suicide rate would drop because most men are just stuck in this cage of not being able to feel because no one's given them permission because they've been told they need to lock it down for survival of the military. They can't explain to their friends in the shop that they've had a bad day at home and they're struggling in their marriage because no one gave them permission. Like it's that process just acknowledging that, yes, you have a family. Yes, it's okay. Yes, you're going to have bad days. And the other component within this all is understanding that if you were deployed TAD, no matter where you are, like you have this different time where you're gone in your home, is understanding that life continues when you're not there. And so what I've kind of coined is this term of an empty empathy bridge. First, you need to understand what it was like for your kids and your wife while you were gone. Did your kids have a boyfriend problem or a girlfriend problem that you weren't there to help through? Did they have a fight on the playground that they really wanted to talk to their dad about, but they didn't? Because these little suppressed emotions are going to come out in anger and all these different other areas. It's not directly related to what the issue was, but it's important to understand what was life like when you were gone. And the same thing, then you have the opportunity for them to understand what life was like when you were gone. And once you've created this connection of understanding on both sides, that empathy bridge, then you can kind of move forward together. But until you kind of acknowledge all of the different things that happen, you can't just go back in and try to take control because control is not something that's yours to take. And it's not even something that exists. You only have control over yourself. Like that's usually where most military veterans get it hung up. But that empathy bridge is at the core of all of that, of how can you create understanding? And it happens on whether you did lose your friend or not. Like, just understanding life went on without you. People had to survive and there's emotions there that need to be felt. And it's okay if feelings are meant to be felt and understood, not suppressed. And that's the biggest thing that I try to talk about on, 
I mean, I'm a Marine who likes to give big hugs and talks about his emotions regularly in a podcast. So I'm like a walking, talking oxymoron. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. And I, I'm, you know, a, as I, you know, after I became a father and I, I certainly became more emotional, but I am definitely one who uh, talks about emotions a lot in the Derate the Hate podcast. I mostly talk about not allowing your emotions to dictate your actions, having your emotions, uh, you know, recognizing your emotions, but not allowing the emotions to dictate the actions, uh, because I think that does get people into into trouble. It dehumanizes it. Emotions are the human experience. And when we dehumanize that component, you can't con- create connection. You can't create understanding. If you first don't understand the emotional component that understands un- underneath all of that, because when you suppress those emotions, they come up in fits of rage and a whole bunch of different other areas that are not the actual real reason of what's really going on. I mean, I've talked to men where there's a problem way over here in their marriage and I'm chatting with them and I'm like, did you just kind of like when you were 10 years old, do you feel like you're a 10 year old boy just waiting to be led by your father? And they're like, damn, that had (laughs) nothing to do with their marriage, but they still had this childlike feeling on the inside that they weren't expressing or even acknowledging and they were trying to dress themselves up at what a man needed to be in 2021, when reality was they were still a 10-year-old boy that didn't have a father to lead him into adulthood. Right, right. No, I, I think uh, emotions are, are such an important part of who we are and, and being able to recognize them, understand them, break them down into what they are, what the causation is uh, of them, and, and then, and then uh, you know, truly understanding what what that's all about is, is, is so important. One thing I, I did, uh, going back to when you were talking about, you know, losing a friend in, in battle and then you coming home to your family when they didn't, it, it makes me think, it makes me think of that scene in, in saving private Ryan towards the end, uh, you know, where I believe the line was, he said, earn this, you know, after they basically won, but everybody, you know, I, I'm not giving anything away, but where he says, earn this. And, and, and the guy, you know, basically saying it, it's up to you to go back and live the life that, that we're now not able to do. You know, we, we saved you. Now you go back and earn this. You live a life, a meaningful and, and powerful life to earn what's been done for you. And, and, and I think that is so hard for, for a lot of the, a lot of the guys coming back is that, you know, they, they don't know how important their legacy as a as a person coming back, their legacy as a father, their legacy, the family that they're going to lead. Uh, I think that that it's 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 a struggle getting there. And I think what you're doing uh, to help those guys get into that mindset and find their way back is so incredibly important. And there's a component with being Memorial Day that I often weave in with family and fatherhood is that. For me, the real root of Memorial Day is remembrance, but remembrance in a way of family and remembering what we get to experience because of the people that didn't come that have no longer with us within your family and heritage and what goes with that. Because to me, like people talk about barbecues and spending time with family and like that's not really what Memorial Day is about. To me, that's exactly what Memorial Day is about, because when you connect with family and create that connection and memories and emotions of enjoy. That's honoring the gifts of sacrifice that all the veterans that went before you gave us. And there is a idea that can't, comes from the movie Coco from Disney that a veteran is only forgotten when people stop remembering his name. And if we always remember the veterans and our families and the people that came before us and the gift that they gave us to create these Memorial Days and memories that we have today, 
their legacy will never be forgotten. And as fathers, we have the opportunity to create an impact that's not just measured within our kids' age, but we can create a generational impact where people are remembering our name because we decided to come home as a dad and decided to help our kids understand how they can help change the world. Right. Like I said, a strong father figure has got to be one of the most important legacies that we can leave uh, leave for our children. Um, I've heard there's a, a psychiatrist, Dr. Meg Meeker. She wrote Strong Father, Strong Daughters. And I was heard on her on a conference last summer. And she's like, if you want to solve the problems in America, put a dad in every street corner in America. Because so many kids within our culture today are looking to be led by a father and they're not there. And they find the first figure that's able to do that. And that's usually a gang or some type of negative influence that is like that father figure, but in all the wrong ways. And people right. are, is, is wired into kids to be led by a father. And without that influence, they will find their own way. And it's never the way that we generally want it to work out. And then we wonder why the things that go the way the direction, because often there's not a father there that's able to make it happen. So Ben, tell me if you had one or two sentences that sum up the most important point that you can make to uh, fathers out there, whether they're veterans or not, what is your, your best two, you know, one, two senses. It can go a little longer than that. I mean, we're on no time. I got two cents. I might actually be one. I've never actually counted the periods in it, but essentially it says what you do on this earth is important. What you leave behind is 10 times more important. And no amount of success outside the home will correct for a failure inside the home. That is excellent. That is excellent. I I, I couldn't. That's the uh, sum of my two year podcast and over two and a half years of podcasting and fatherhood. I love it. I love it. And uh, I will definitely be putting that as a quote to you in the uh, in the show description today. I uh, I can't thank you enough for, for the time. And more than that, I can't thank you enough for number one, your service to our country. And number two, the uh, service that you're providing to our our country uh, now with with your with your podcast, your two podcasts and your family, because what, what you're doing is, is incredibly important. At the D-Rate They Hate podcast, we're all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. And what you're doing is changing attitudes. You're changing attitudes and, and you're doing it in a way that, uh, that everybody should appreciate because it's a, it's a very strong message and uh, you've got a, a beautiful platform to do it on and a lot of experience. And uh, I'm glad that you're sharing it. And thank you for doing what you're doing because there was a lesson I learned when I visited D.C. for the first time about a year ago is that the only difference between the people that are cemented in memorials in D.C. and us is they learned how to use, move mountains with their words, and those words are now cemented in stone. And just like any one of us who have a podcast or create a conversation or say hello to, to a random stranger, our words can move mountains for people. And as we learn to exercise them and to learn to derate the hate, we can do good things in this world, just like the people that are memorialized in Washington, D.C. I love it. I, I thank you very much for saying that and, and sharing with uh, with our listeners today. So with that, I hope uh, hope we get a chance to speak again, Ben. Thank you, Wilk. Friends, we had so much value and so much wisdom in that interview with Ben Colloy. And if you're a veteran, if you're a dad, if, if you're a parent at all, and you found value in this like I did, please share it with your friends. There's so much that so much that can be taken away from this. And if you're looking to get a hold of Ben or want to find out more about him, just check out militaryveterandad.com. Again, that's militaryveterandad.com. Or just just Google Ben Colloy. This guy's everywhere. 
Uh, great interview, great guy. Uh, I look forward to uh, to having him on the show and, and finding out more about Ben in the in the future. So he's got a he's got a lot of great things going on. Check him out. And here at the D Rate They Hate podcast, we're all about bettering the world one attitude at a time. I love having these guests because that's what they're doing. Guys like Ben are bettering the world one attitude at a time, doing everything they can to help people make their lives better. So when you get out there, when you're out doing your deal, be kind to one another. Be grateful for everything that you've got. And remember, it's up to you to make each and every day the day that you want it to be. Friends, I am Wilk from WilksWorld.com. I very much appreciate you listening. If you would, please subscribe wherever you get your audio. Share us with your friends. Leave us some feedback. Email me if you've got something you want me to talk about. Wilk at WilksWorld.com. With that, I'm going to wrap it up for the week. I'm going to back on out of here. We'll catch you next week.